If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to close out chapter 12. We started last week. Today we're going to cover verses 15 through 32 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in your word, Lord. We pray that you would open it up to us. And Father, as well, that you would speak through us as there's an opportunity today for just interaction. I pray, Father, that um, you would be the one that is glorified and honored in this place. And so open up our eyes, open up our ears to hear what you have to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Last week, we covered verses 1 through 14. If there was the big message... We could see it in verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. And so what I mentioned last week was um, God kind of showed me this just understanding of how he wants to accomplish in our lives what he wants to accomplish. And it was in the simplicity of I don't know, sometimes we get this idea that God's waiting for us to mess up and then he just wants to like, like zap us or get us or, or I don't know. I don't know where this idea came from, but what the Lord was showing me that he has clearly delineated that the path of blessings is found in obedience to what he says. And the path of curses or a messed up life is in disobedience to what he says. And so it's not so much in God doing it to us, God is saying, children, kids, look, I've got all these blessings for you. Move in this direction. Follow after what I'm leading you to. I'll delineate it for you. I'll outline it for you. I'll show you what I'm talking about, exactly what he's doing here to the nation of Israel right before they go over the, over, uh, the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the promised land. But he's saying, these are the blessings that I have in store for you. If you obey what I'm saying, you're going to fall. You're going to, these blessings will fall on you. But if you disobey, it's not me that's messing up your life. It's the disobedience that is messing up your life. And so I thought that was just interesting as we went through that. And that was pretty much the whole chapter of just God showing them what they were supposed to do. So we pick it up today at verse 15. And let's go ahead and read verses 15 all the way to 28, and you're going to see a reoccurring theme. I want you to take note of blood, and every time it's mentioned, verse 15 says, however, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike, only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the, the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servants and female servant and the Levite who is within your gates and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourselves that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your borders as he has promised you 
and you say, let me eat, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall not you shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you. When you do what is right in the sight of the Lord, only the holy things which you have, which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey that these, all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And so he continues on that theme of giving them instructions, letting them know that when they follow these instructions, their life is going to go well. And then he talks about blood and he talks about meat. Okay. Were they limited in what they could eat in the wilderness as they wandered? Of course they were. Okay. There's a big 1.5 million people wandering around in the desert, being led by a pillar of fire by night, a cloud in the day. And so, yeah, they were limited. Remember, the manna was falling from heaven, and they were eating the manna. God provided them food. And then they wanted meat, and so he sent quail as much as they can handle but they were limited. They were limited in what they could eat while they were in the wilderness. Now they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to possess their possessions. They're going to have fields that they didn't uh, bury or, or plant, not bury, plant. They're going to have orchards and vineyards and things that are already there. They're going to have houses that they didn't build. They're going to have animals that they didn't raise. And so he's saying, as you guys situate yourselves and you get situated in that land, eat to your heart's content. Be blessed with whatever is there. Even if it's too far where it's prescribed, then eat right where you're at of the flocks that God has given you. And so just blessings now are being just poured out on the nation of Israel as they're going to go into the promised land. Now, this idea of not eating blood. Anybody knows where that was first mentioned? Uh, I don't know where that was first mentioned, but I know the idea of why. Why? Basically, it's because it's like they're eating their soul. Okay. So that's why he asks for you to uh, pull out the blood because when you're eating the blood, you're eating the soul. Uh, they say it's not correct to be eating rare meat or medium rare because there's still blood in it. Okay. Well, we're going to see what the Bible says about that. That's an interesting point. Good point. Okay. Was it, it was mentioned a lot in Leviticus, wasn't it? Okay. Yes, definitely. I got all kinds of Leviticus 17.11, Leviticus 17.14. Yes. So definitely mentioned in Leviticus. Okay. So if you want to let your fingers do the walking... Jump back over with me to Genesis chapter oh, 9. Genesis chapter 9. And I want you to notice. Oh, let's pick it up at about verse. This is Noah coming off the ark. God's making a promise to him and his children. And let's pick it up at verse 3 there. Noah, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 9. God speaking to Noah. 
uh, starting at verse three, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So before the flood, um, man was, uh, what is a, when you eat only plants, what is that? Uh, vegetarian? Herbivore? Okay, a herbivore was the word I was thinking about. Okay, so after now, God is, is allowing Mo, uh, Noah to let him know, your, you, you know, you and your three sons and hit their three wives and you and your wife, you guys can eat food. You can eat meat, okay, to your heart's content. Um, he's saying everything that moves, you may eat. Everything that, uh, moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, so as well as being a vegetarian, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Surely for your life blood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. If you'll remember in Genesis chapter six, it got to the point where every thought was continually evil with man. And that's why God brought judgment. And so we saw that take place in chapter six. God found Noah. Noah found grace in God's eyes. He pulled him out from amongst the crowd and he was going to basically start over with Noah. And so right here we see the first mention of this idea of blood, not eating the blood because life is found within the blood, okay? Uh, The importance of the idea of blood in the Bible is shown by how often the word is used. It is used 424 times and in 357 separate verses. And so pretty significant, okay? So when God says here in Genesis, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood, God also commands Noah that if animals are eaten, there must be a proper respect for the blood, which represents the life principle in the animal. So as you're saying, maybe the soul thing is connected with the animal, okay? So whatever that is, there's this life that is in the animal, and don't don't do that. And so I don't know, how you guys view this now, but in my country, they have something called morcillo. In Puerto Rico, they have morcillo. Morcillo is blood sausage. They have it in Ireland. They have it um, quite a few different, England, okay? Quite a few. Yeah, pretty nasty. I've tasted it. Pretty yucky. It's, it's, almost, it's almost a slant on liver. It's not as gamey, or it's not as uh, good. I think it's more gamey probably than, than liver, so... I don't know why people like it, but some do, okay? So as we look at this, let's look at the different things that blood meant. In Exodus 12, 13, you have to go there. I'll just let you know what these these things were. Blood was the sign of mercy for Israel at the Passover. Who remembers what significance blood had in the Passover? What had to happen? Yeah, so a lamb, an innocent lamb had to be slain. They had to take the blood from that innocent lamb put it on the doorpost, right, in the lentil of their house. I always think it's lentils, like that soup, lentil. But it's lentil, yeah. So, yeah. But anyways, it's, uh, I've seen people make the sign of the cross on it. I don't know if that's how that would work out, but uh, I don't know what a lentil is. So. Okay, so that would be probably the doorpost. The lentil would be something else on the door, but it was mentioned those two. All right, blood sealed God's covenant with Israel in Exodus chapter 24, Verse 8, blood, blood was the seal of their covenant. In Exodus 29, 12, blood sanctified the altar. Blood was to be sprinkled on the altar. In Exodus 29, 20, blood set apart the priest. And it's interesting. 
They were to place uh, blood on their right ear, on their right thumb, and on their right toe. And basically that would mean that they would hear God because their ear was anointed. That things that they did with their hands, their actions would be anointed by God and their walk would be anointed because their right toe was uh, anointed with blood. And and that was blood that, that was used for that. In Exodus 30 verse 10, blood made atonement for God's people. You jump into the New Testament, Matthew 26, 28, blood sealed the new covenant. Remember, Jesus would use what elements to do in remembrance of him? What would it be? The bread and the wine. The bread represented his body. The wine represented his blood shed. Okay? And so that's Matthew 26, 28. In Romans 5, 9, blood justifies us. So we are justified with God. What does the doctrine of justification teach? Just as if you've never sinned. I'll give you my sheet when I'm done. Oh, I don't send this, huh? I could give you my notes again. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Blood justifies us. Moving on to Ephesians 1, 7. Blood brings redemption. We are redeemed by the what? The blood of the lamb. He redeemed us. He bought us out of the slave market with his blood. That was the purchase price. Um, in Colossians 1.20, blood brings peace with God. And so you and I have peace with God because of the blood of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and Hebrews 9.14, his blood cleanses us. And so we are clean. We are made perfect because of the blood of Jesus. You want the reference? Or you got it? I only got the first one. Hebrews 9.14. In Hebrews 10, 19, blood gives entrance to God's holy place. What is God's holy place? His presence. And you are able to come into the throne room of God's, you're able to come into the presence of God's throne room by the grace of God because of his blood, it says in Hebrews 10, 19. In Hebrews 13, 12, blood sanctifies us. And finally, in Revelations 12, 11, blood enables us to overcome Satan. We overcame him by the testimony and by the blood of the lamb, whatever it says. Let's say, Brian, do you know? Do you know the whole scripture? Yeah, I I gave it kind of, right? They overcame him by the word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, something else. There's a third thing in there. Is there? And so blood, very significant, right? And we know that the Old Testament is giving us all of these types, these shadows that are pointing to Jesus and what his blood would do, what his sacrifice would mean to us. But now you jump to the New Testament and you have this idea of blood, okay? So Genesis chapter 9 with Noah, it's pre-law and blood is mentioned. Jump over to Acts chapter 15 with me. Acts chapter 15. And let's see what takes place in the book of Acts. The church is about to basically not be what the church is today. Acts chapter 15. And so those who were... So if this chapter is not in the Bible 
then in order for us to be Christians, we would have had to first convert to Judaism and then we can be Christians. But because of this chapter, something took place. Notice Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? That would be crazy, right? So you would have to convert to Judaism, obey the law, be circumcised, hold to all the dietary laws, the ceremonial laws, the moral law, and then accept and receive Christ as your Savior, then you could be saved. But that would mean we're saved by works and not by grace, right? And so there's a council and they meet. And notice what the council comes up with in verses, starting at verse 23. So they have this meeting. James is kind of over it. He's in charge, if you will. Uh, note, let's pick it up at verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders. This is Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 22. With the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do well, farewell. And so ask me then, is it okay or not okay for Christians today to eat blood or not and why? Is it okay or not okay? Is it right or wrong? Is it sinful or not sinful for Christians to eat blood today? Yes or no and why? Some say wrong, okay. How many say wrong? Okay, hands. How many say not wrong? Okay. Ron doesn't like to commit because and then when he finds out the answer, he wants to say, yeah, that's kind of where I was leaning. I was kind of looking that way a little bit. Okay, okay. Okay. Okay, okay. You're going to go on the record. You'll put it out there. Okay. I personally like my steak medium. I don't want it mooing, but, you know, I, I definitely like. Well, if it was wrong, we'd all be eating, still, like, eating halal or kosher. That whole. And since we're not. We're not. Interesting. Okay. okay. There are Christians on both sides of this argument. I'll, I'll give you one who's very uh, respected. Pastor David Hawking would say that this has never been retracted in his teachings. Okay. I have a different take because I do like medium steak. I'm just saying. 
No, no, it's not a personal thing. It's just from studying and what I come up with. Okay. First of all, the context of Acts, you have to look at what's taking place. You do have Christians that are coming out of Judaism with very, very sensitive consciences to the law. And so you had this whole thing about Paul and meat and things sacrificed to idols. And that's where the strangled, it says right here, in addition to blood, he says, from things strangled. Sexual immorality, why would he have to mention sexual immorality when we already know that sexual immorality is sin? Because the Gentiles would marry close relatives, and for them it wasn't even a a blip on the screen. So the sexual immorality that he's referring to is from marrying sisters, marrying brothers, and first cousins, which was forbidden in the law, which the Jews, of course, practiced did not do that. They abstained from that. But the Gentile world didn't have the law of Moses, did they? And so their practices in first century AD with the Greek and the Roman culture, very different than the church. And so it, what this letter is appealing to is a sensitivity of the Jewish believers that are coming out of Judaism into Christianity where we have this incredible freedom to do whatever we want. All things are lawful for me, Paul would write. All things are law. I'm not bound by any law as a Christian, but all things don't edify and all things don't build up. So I don't want to, with my freedom and liberty, cause another brother or sister to stumble. That's the purpose and the context of this entire chapter, okay? So then we have to go to the higher law of love to interpret this idea of blood. So jump over now with me to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14. See, this is a Bible study, and we're studying the Bible. See, that's what we're doing. So yeah, we're jumping around a little. Get your fingers, you know, let your fingers do the walking. But it's kind of cool. We'll see what the Word of God has to say. So we don't have to give man's opinion. We'll let God speak. Romans chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 14. So notice now, Paul, again, writing to this church in Rome, he writes, I know and am convinced, this is Romans 14, starting at verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. There is nothing unclean as far as foods that I'm ingesting of itself. There's nothing that I'm taking in that is going to make me unholy or that's going to make God not love me. God loves me. And I can eat anything. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So if I have a brother or a sister that struggles or stumbles with something, then I need to watch that. I shouldn't let my freedoms dictate, well, forget that. If somebody is offended with pork, then you abstain. Paul would go as far not to eat meat, fighting words in my book, but you know, I like the barbecue. But nonetheless, for the, for the higher law of love, he would say, if eating meat is going to cause my brother to stumble, I'll abstain. They do say, though, that to him it is unclean, but it also depends if you pray over your food or not. We're going to get to that. You should be doing the Bible oh, study. See? <laughs> All right, so verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and not the things by which one may edify, I'm sorry, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. If he eats, Because if he, eat, he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. And so if an individual thinks, hey, you know what? It was mentioned in Genesis chapter 9, given to Noah. Oh, I don't know. And then they mentioned it in Acts 15. I don't know. I just personally, I'm not going to do it. Okay, you have that freedom. whole different message, but the Bible definitely says that. So we definitely want to take that into consideration and those people into consideration, but do we have the freedom to do it? I think we do. I think biblically, scripturally, we do. Again, you can agree to disagree. Last section of scripture on this, 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to run over there with me, 1 Timothy Chapter 4. And this is the verse that my brother mentioned. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Did he get it? Yes. It's working. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Look at how deep this is. These are deceiving, deceptive doctrines of demons. You're holy because you eat this. You're holy because you don't eat that. You're unholy because you eat this. What? Food, no. No, we're not relating to God through our belly. No, food, no. We're holy because God loves us. We're holy because he makes us righteous. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, verse 2, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So who is the spiritually minded brother or sister, the one that is lacking scruples? Isn't that crazy? Think about what I just said. A scruple is this conviction that you have. No, no, I don't don't touch that. That's wrong. And yet the spiritually, the more spiritual one is the one that doesn't have those hangups. The one's like, yeah, I can take that or leave it. Ain't no thing. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. (laughs) So if there's nothing to eat and you're starving and there's only something that's unclean, God says to eat it, then if you're going to eat it and you want to survive, you might as well eat it. But in New Testament talk, unclean is no longer... A, 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 a word okay it's not an issue okay so again that's kind of just my take on it that's how i look at it that's how i'm seeing it we have the freedom to enjoy what god has blessed us with so if you were like in a position where okay so you were hungry and things that you didn't need to eat, but you were really hungry 
you have to hold on to it because it will be wrong. So how do you do that? Just the opposite. You have the freedom to eat whatever you want. Pray for it. So then God would probably maybe forgive you for that time. It's not a sin anymore. Jump back over to Deuteronomy chapter 12, little last section. We'll close out here. Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, 12, starting verse 29. Let me know when you get it. Nice. Verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourselves that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. That's an important verse. When we come into the promises of God, do we investigate and see how other satanic people are doing what they do? Demonic people doing what they do? No, be careful with that. Be careful with that. Be careful with investigating. And Well, I, I just want to go to the church of Satan to see what they do in there. Be careful. I mean, don't, don't inquire in that, okay? And it's not that, you know, God's scared that you're going to like Satan better than him. It's you don't want to hook up with that stuff. Satan is very subtle at what he does, and these doctrines of demons are lying spirits. And so they'll tell us what we want to hear. They know, they know what can draw us and woo us. And so there's just, God's like saying, kids, <coughs> my kids, don't do that. Would you say there's a fine line between educating yourself and then kind of like, you know, like kind of getting deeper than you need to? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's a fine line between that? Yeah. I, I'm suspicious of people who only study the cults and, and don't study the truth. You should study the truth far more than you study cults. To be able to be effective in apologetics, the word apologetics, the Greek word is apologia, and it means defending the faith. It's a defense of the faith. And to defend the faith, okay, wh what does Mormonism teach? Mormonism is outside the realm of Christianity. It's a cult. Okay, what does Jehovah Witnesses teach? And so maybe I need to study some of these things and, and understand so that I can be better equipped to understand the lies that are within that system of belief. But should I engulf myself in that and never spend time in the truth? Spend time in the truth so that when the fake and the phony comes looms on the horizon it's like whoa 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 no i uh, uh, uh that's it's like money you know the the tellers handling real money they don't need to see the fake they don't need to handle the real, the phony they handle the real that's how they're trained when they see the fake it's like oh that paper feels a little different oh there's something something hokey about that i don't know it just looks okay so i think there's a fine line in studying and engulfing yourself. God is telling them, what, think about it, they're going to go into the land of Canaan. They're going to have Molech, Baal, Baal, all these gods, Ashtoreth, a sex god that was worshipped, multi-breasted in appearance, um, phallic symbols throughout the land, just gross stuff. And they're going to go in, and he tells them in, earlier in this chapter, wipe them all out. Smash them. And now he's telling them further, in addition, don't investigate. Don't investigate the nasty habits that they did. Like, Christians are to be excellent in what is good, innocent of evil, Romans 16.9 says. 16.19 or 16.9? Okay. Excellent in what is good, innocent of what is evil. 
Bible says, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And so again, there is a fine line between, I have, I have a lot of apologetics books. I have Josh McDowell, which is all apologetics. I have C.S. Lewis. I have Lee Strobel. I have all of these guys who used to be atheists and they set out to disprove Christianity. And what happens when you try to disprove Christianity? There's too much evidence and you get converted to Christ. Okay, so all these guys are like, oh, I'm going to disprove Jesus. And then it's like, dang, Jesus really existed. What do we do with that? You know, and they get converted and they get born again. They get saved. So it's not that we can't study it. It's don't look into it deeper than you need to, if you will. So you're saying don't play around with it. Don't Cause, dabble. Because like what you were saying, don't investigate, is basically what you're talking about. The atheists who are investigating, and they ended up finding out that, that Christ is real, and they get converted into it. Amen. But, you know, also, if, even if you don't know too much about all this stuff, when it does come across you, your spirit tells you it's wrong. I agree. That, that feeling, you know, like that's, that's not good. I agree. Moving on in verse, take heed to yourself, verse 30 says that you are not ensnared to follow them after they destroyed before you and that you do not inquire after their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. Verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. And so that's the god Molech, incandescent statue that was lit up with fire coming from its belly. And they would take their firstborn and place it on the arms of the baby. Drums are playing in the, playing in the background to drown out the screams of these infants that are dying in this, basically being burned to death. And so God is saying, that's wicked. I don't want my kids doing that. I don't want my children doing that. And that is a, there is a one-to-one ratio with how, what they did in, you know, second century eight, uh, BC to abortion today. Same thing, saline solution placed within the mom's womb. The baby is basically burned and then extracted in parts as they suck it out. And they use clamps to draw out parts. And so it's just, it's very similar. So we need to be careful, okay? The world is doing this and God is saying they worship the gods of their making. They make them in their own image. What God are they worshiping? God of convenience, God of of money and power. Because if I have too many kids and so I think I can't afford another kid, I gotta do this. And so God is saying, "My, my children, don't do that. I'll provide for you. I'll make a way. I'm about life, not death. And so, of course, God offers forgiveness for that as we stumble in these things. But at the same time, God is saying, don't be like the world. Don't do what the world does. The last verse in that chapter, he says, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And so there's a warning. Don't add to God's word. Don't take away from it. And I think a lot of people do that sometimes when they're sharing they get nervous, um, um, well, and then they'll embellish God's word or they'll fabricate things. Don't do that. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, you know what the best answer to say is? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'll look into that though. That's a good question. Oh man, you got me. Yeah, that's a good one. Woo. Yeah, I don't know. I never heard that. Or yeah, that's a good one. You know, or whatever. But don't, 
Oh, yeah, flux capacitator and the Captain Crunch decoder ring. Yeah, that's the answer there. <laughs> like, what the heck did that come from? Yeah, nothing to do with nothing. Revelation chapter 22, at the end of the last book in the Bible, John writes in verse 18, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so again, a warning way back at the beginning, a warning here at the end of the, of the Bible in Revelation. We don't want to add to God's word. We don't want to take away. Okay? Let God's word speak for itself. And the way I see it is, I see the gospel as a, as a lion. Open the cage and let it out. It'll do its work. God has chosen the foolish message of the cross to save. And so we don't need to add and make it juicy. Come to Jesus and your life will be perfect and you'll never have problems. That's a lie. Come to Jesus and you just made an enemy with his enemy, the devil. You're going to have a lot of problems. But God will be with you. God will be with you in those problems. God will be with you through the trial. I don't know how people in the world without God do it because they have struggles too, don't they? They have problems. They get cancer. They get sick. So we need to be careful not to add or take away from God's word. Questions, comments, concerns? Peter was on the roof taking a nap. And, um, but anyway, and then uh, it ends up that he was having a dream and it ended up the a sheep lowered from heaven mm-hmm. with all manner of animals, both clean and unclean. And it ended up voice came from heaven and said, take and eat. And he said, oh, no, 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 because there's unclean animals here, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. And then it went back up, came back down again. How many times? Three, three. times? Over yeah, three times. He kept doing this, kept doing this. And the third time, it finally came down and said, okay, all right. And, you know. and what does God tell him about those animals? You can eat anything you want. <laughs> what I've cleansed no longer call unclean. Yeah, and of course, it was a reference to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were now going to be included in the fold, but it was animals, and they were, he was a good kosher boy, right? He's a good little Jew that didn't eat uh, unclean, and God said, no, 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 what I've cleansed, don't call unclean. And so in the New Testament, we do have the freedom to eat whatever we want. And that's why we bless and pray for our food, because the Lord will bless it. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, we saw that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in you, Lord. I pray that we would rejoice in that freedom, Lord, that we would be thankful for that, that we can eat anything and eat to our heart's delight. Uh, I know that you give wisdom so that we can be healthy and not overindulge and get things out of balance, but Lord, we just thank you for just uh, your gracious heart to be able to bless us with all things to enjoy. And so thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Father, as we share with people that we wouldn't add or take away. And I pray that even in our lives, our personal walks with you, Lord, that we wouldn't add as Eve added the, the just the stifling requirement of when you commanded that they weren't supposed to uh, touch it or eat it. And you never said that, Lord. And sometimes we do that, Lord. We make your word restrictive and it's not restrictive, Lord. Your commandments are not burdensome. And they bring freedom and they bring joy and they bring peace and they bring uh, long life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, uh, again, not add or take away from 
your precious word, Lord, that we would let it say what it says at face value and just walk in the freedoms that you've blessed us with, Lord. So thank you for what you're doing, Lord, and uh, just continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.